0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Knock It Off, our weekly podcast on all things real life and real time, adulting mixed with motherhood. Brought to you by two unqualified and quirky moms with the hope that we help you feel less alone in your plights. This is Bethany Bell, sister number two, mother of three, bringing you episode number seven. I'm recording this from the East Coast beaches of Florida where I reunite annually with three friends of various ages and backgrounds. This is our eighth year getting together and it's always a delight. We talk about our kids and our jobs and life and I feel so lucky to have this time with them. I know a lot of moms and parents in general struggle with spending time away from their kids, but I would encourage you to consider these short trips away for yourself, to have time to reboot and replenish, gain from others' perspectives, learn together. Please be sure you are subscribing at knockitoff.substack.com and know that this content is free. If you see a pledge page, bypass it by hitting no pledge at the bottom. Also, we've started playing with a chat thread on the subject of the week, where we ask questions and discuss thoughts amongst our listeners. You can find it on our page on the Substack app. With that being said, on to this week's episode. It's over? It's over. So how'd I do? A lesson on mourning the end of youth sports. As the school year begins to wrap up, spring is less than subtly turning to summer, at least here in Florida. And as youth extracurriculars wind down to a close, we find ourselves feeling melancholy about the whole dang thing. It's odd. Given our frequent lamenting about never having a weekend off, getting up at the butt crack of dawn, and having zero social lives. Who are we kidding? We wouldn't have social lives regardless. Not to mention the laundry demand increase, given that we have to recirculate practice uniforms and game day jerseys and those dreaded soccer socks and leotards on the regular. The parking is enough to write home about, including the mid-season alert of traffic flow changes required to avoid grown women fighting, as well as the strategies employed to avoid the crowds as much as possible. We watch our kiddos begin the season with a blank slate. Maybe they are intrepid, oftentimes aloof, perhaps underwhelmed. As they navigate learning the activity, how to interact with the coaching staff and making friends, as parents, we are also undergoing a subtle changing, one that we think is oftentimes subconscious but no less significant. Many of us grew up in organized sports or arts. Whatever our parents threw us into, we mean lovingly signed us up for. We don't know any different than going to school and then being carpooled to practice or dance class. Weekends for us, in the small town of California where we ended up for this phase of life, were frequently spent attending out-of-town soccer tournaments in Victorville or Bakersfield, or dance rehearsals at the local community college, or baseball and softball games at the ballpark, or hockey games on the Naval Base. It was how we spent our childhood, our lives, together in that dusty town in the desert, we recall some of our best memories of team sleepovers and car rides in the 15-seater van dubbed the Magic Bus. There were often nights spent at the dance studio with freedom from the parental units when we'd walk to Albertsons, the grocery store in the shared strip mall, to grab freshly baked bread for dinner or instead opt to nail some home-baked goods sold by the dance company members' mothers. There were softball games when we endured the chance and came up with our own. Ba-ba-ba-walk, ba-ba-ba-walk, ba 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 -ba ba -ba strike, ba-ba-ba-walk. There were roller hockey games when we watched our tiny baby brother check with impressive force other kids into the boards. We witnessed grown men losing it over practice field double bookings at t-ball. We navigated it all. Our personal collections of childhood memories have forever etched a cherished story in our hearts. These are the moments we live for. Hence, when our children turned the minimum age for registration, we find ourselves signing them up. Let's give it a whirl, we tell them, our people, we tell ourselves. As the season begins, we may recall subtle reminders from those gone before us. Whatever you do, keep it fun. Of course it will be, we think, our own joy being held in the highest regard. I'm going to have a blast. I'm sure my kid will too. And we're off. Typically, the child begins some version of a recreation league or beginner class in various activities. They figure out what they like to do. They return for another season. The parents then learn about a club team version or a competitive team that is available and how their kid may be great for it. We think to ourselves, let's do it. The instructors are more experienced. The competition is a new challenge. The stakes are higher because we have to pay tournament admission fees or competition fees on top of our routine dues. There is also a much greater time commitment. All of a sudden, we are at the field or gym three to four times per week instead of two. We find ourselves immersed in a whole new world. The kids are together consistently and suddenly friendships develop. Lo and behold, we may find ourselves spending more time with these people we see three or four times a week. The adults may decide to hang out. Gradually, a community united by children forms. We bear witness together as the kids inconspicuously morph into different versions of themselves right before our eyes. They grow an inch, share their first crush, suffer a scary injury, say goodbye to family members, star in a school musical, get benched for mistakes made off the field, and celebrate victories all experienced within the confines of this wrinkle in time with these humans in their lives. It's sacred stuff. As many of our fondest recollections go, we didn't see any of this coming. When Bethany's son's soccer season came to a close, she and her husband found themselves super sad, like, really sad. They realized they must come to terms that this amazing year, time with lovely people, energy that was spilled, was over. God willing, many more will come. But we must pay due respect to the beauty of moments spent together and mourn the ending of it. Despite the schedule demands of a witty-bitty game of t-ball, When Bethany's middle child stepped up to the plate for the last time as a four-year-old, something inside of her ached. When he rounded the bases and practiced his super cool knees-forward slide at home plate, that final go-around, she clapped for his joy. When he told his coach in a delicate little voice, thank you for coaching me, and turned back towards his mother with tears brimming his eyes, God told her it was okay for her to cry, too. As Andy Bernard from the comedy series, The Office, so sagely declares, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Kara's family finds itself at an end-of-season crossroads that they did not expect. Her seven-year-old daughter has been navigating year-round academy soccer, gymnastics sessions, and dance classes for two solid years now. But all of a sudden, her daughter has to make a big decision for such a small girl. Should she try for the competitive gymnastics team, which is a vast commitment that all other activities must cease, try for the premier soccer league, which requires the same decision, or attempt continuing some combination of sports-slash-activities that means less competition and less overall engagement on all fronts. Why is it that our children have to make these kinds of decisions at the age of 7? We suppose that it's partly the fault of the modern-day parental units trying to expose the children to as much as possible early on. But if the children take to multiple sports or activities, and the time comes when they must choose one or the other to stay competitive, how does one help the child decide? As Kara's daughter has pondered the question, the conflict and confusion in her little brain and heart is evident. With each new piece of information about the upcoming season, a different decision is formed, all with the commitment clock ticking. Having been a gymnast and dancer as a kid and never a fan of the sport of soccer, one would think Kara would be pushing or even just hoping for gymnastics to prevail. But almost inexplicably, she finds herself just as conflicted as her daughter about the whole thing. Kara sees so much potential in her daughter on the soccer front. The speed, the athletic ability, the height, and when she feels like it, the aggression. These are not unlike the positive attributes we all spot in our children. Kara, knowing absolutely nothing about the game of soccer and feeling woefully inadequate as a motivator due to said ignorance, still enjoys the raw team nature of the sport and the positive environment that the club coaches foster. Selfishly, she enjoys the fact that it's outdoors without her ever having to whiff chalk. She loves seeing her sister, her nephews, and her friends at the soccer fields. She likes that she can easily tow the toddler out there, and he can run and scream and play, and all of these things are mostly acceptable. Even though Kara is far better equipped to give her daughter gymnastics pointers and criticism, she worries about the higher potential for serious injury in gymnastics. She hypothesizes that one of the very physical attributes which makes for a great soccer player, height, will quickly phase her daughter out of competitive gymnastics. She dislikes the cattiness and drama that can sometimes accompany competitive young female gymnastics teams. One only needs to stream any gymnastics show on TV, which is constantly happening in Kara's household, to get a good flavor of the potential for these things. But Kara also sees that her daughter fills every spare moment doing cartwheels and handstands and back walkovers and such, even irritatingly, on the soccer fields. We can guide and hope and even push some, but at the end of the day, we've got to let our kids be themselves. Let them follow their passions, even if they include downsides. So as Kara mourns the end of one season and awaits her daughter's decision on the next one, she's reminding herself to be grateful for these kinds of problems. And she's going to soak up every special moment of the most likely last dance recital. Jimmy Valvano famously said, don't give up. Don't ever give up to us. Parents, these words mean that regardless of the sport or activity chosen by our children, we will never cease to be their biggest fans. And for our kids, We hope they hold these words close to their hearts in thinking of the exposures they've already had, the difficult decisions that must be made, and the future controversies and enjoyment that will come their way. That wraps up this week's episode, friends. If you enjoyed it, please take the time to like the article on Substack, share a post about Knock It Off, Rate us on your podcast app, comment on the post, and don't forget to subscribe. Any of these kind gestures support us in getting the word out. Also, come say hi on the chat this week. We are talking about moms or mother figures in the week leading up to that special holiday. See you next time.